Our Father, we have, we, we sing these songs to you. Um, you invite us to worship you in spirit and in truth, and you are worthy of this and so much more. In fact, you're worthy of the entirety of our being being offered to you as a sacrifice of, of praise, a, an offering, a, a living sacrifice. It's our spiritual, it's our reasonable service of worship. And um, thank you, Father, for allowing us to come into your presence and join together our voices and our hearts to honor you and worship you. I pray that uh, as we continue that posture of, of uh, reverential worship before you uh, this morning, uh, may you then speak to our hearts and our needs. May we hear from you, and may you conform us just a little bit more into the image of your Son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome this morning, Fellowship Bible Church. Glad you're here. If you're a guest with us, uh, again, we are glad you are here. After the service, there's a uh, welcome center out there in the foyer, and stop by. We have a gift for you, and would uh, just like to greet you and um, welcome you this morning. And online, we're glad you're uh, being with us online as well. This is a kind of a special, uh, special Sunday, special week with our global church week. Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. It's an amazing thought, isn't it? The love of God has been poured out in our hearts. Uh, we may not feel it necessarily sometimes. We may not even um, acknowledge it. But that's a fact that God so loves us that he has poured out his love within our hearts. And uh, over these last number of weeks, we've been having a church-wide focus on this idea of how that love should then overflow out of us to uh, those around us, our families, our, our church family, our community, and around the world. Jesus said, the Great Commission, go into the world and preach the good news. There's nothing more loving than to preach the gospel uh, around the world. And on this special uh, week that we have starting this weekend through next weekend, our Global Church Week, we get to kind of celebrate what God is doing around the world. So we have uh, guests and friends and people we've worked with, some very new, some uh, quite a, a long time who are here with us. And uh, we're going to introduce those uh, folks to you in just a moment as uh, Scott McManigal and Jim Poole, our missions pastors, are going to come this morning and explain why we do what we do in global missions. I do want to give you just a little, a couple of things to note because you can participate in this, and I want to really encourage you to do that. Tonight, start, start tonight, well, you're obviously here today participating, but tonight at uh, 6 o'clock, uh, we are going to have a focus on Native American, the, the church in, uh, uh, here in the United States uh, to the Native Americans. We've for a couple of years been burdened about, God, what would you want us to do? We've worked uh, with some folks in the Navajo Nation for a, a, long, a long time. But God is opening doors um, uh, in different parts of the United States. And we want to explore what God is doing. We want to hear some testimonies and understand the challenges. 576 tribal groups here in the United States. What is God doing? Where's the needs? And we're going to hear from Native American leaders and pastors that, that God has graciously connected us with. That's tonight, uh, 6 o'clock, and uh, we want you to, to join us here. Uh, there'll be a question and answer time as well and dessert afterwards so you can... Um, delve a little bit more deeply into some of these things. Six o'clock tonight. But I also want to mention Friday night is the progressive dinner. We thought this might be a creative way to get to meet our um, partners from different parts of the world. So, uh, and by the way, if you haven't picked up our little brochure here, it introduces you to the folks that are here this week and on the back gives us uh, the schedule, so I don't want to go through all of that tonight. But Friday night, the progressive dinner, 5.30 to 8.30, three different locations, 
Appetizers at the Hispanic Church, there behind Grand Furniture, the church there. Uh, main course here and dessert is down at Woodstock, the church plant down in Woodstock. You can go in any order. I kind of like the idea of having dessert first. And amen to that. That's right. And uh, so you can go in any order. It's a family thing. Enjoy the time. Uh, you'll get to be, uh, I think, firsthand, up front and close with uh, our missionaries. And uh, so it'll be a relaxed, enjoyable family uh, focus on Friday night. Uh, various other things are happening. Uh, there's the brochure. You can see it online, fbcva.life, Global Church uh, Week. So be, um, just be aware what's happening. I want to invite uh, now Scott and Jim to come on up, as well as every one of our guests who are here in this service. And as they're coming up, I want to turn your attention to our screens and just a real brief little introduction to FBC Global Missions. Ephesians 4 says, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He gave them to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. God has greatly used this passage to help form the heart and focus of Fellowship Bible Church's global missions program. We believe that God has given the responsibility for carrying out the work of ministry to the local church. By His grace, He has provided FBC with the contacts and personnel to carry out our own global missions program instead of supporting others to do it on our behalf. We are partnering with churches and their key leaders on four continents to strengthen well over a thousand churches through teaching, discipleship, and leadership development. Our current mission field includes Mexico, Ecuador, South Africa, Benin, Togo, Nigeria, Malawi, Kenya, Pakistan, India, Thailand, Bhutan, Nepal, and other Asian countries, as well as several missions here in the U.S. But more than the where is the who. We are focused on real people with real needs and are given the privilege to come alongside these real people and partner with them for the sake of the gospel. More than our mission, they are our friends and fellow workers for the truth. We seek to strengthen them inside their already existing national churches by teaching, training, and equipping them with all the needed resources in order to help them move towards becoming all that God has called them to be. For only when their churches are established and mature can they fulfill their own responsibility of carrying out the work of ministry within their cultural context, within their own country, and even around the world. Ultimately, Jesus said that he will build his church, but we are privileged and excited to be along for the ride. Well, good morning, and thank you all for joining us this morning. Um, as Mark shared, um, this is our Global Missions Focus Week, and um, we're just really excited to have this opportunity to introduce to you some of our uh, dear friends and partners in the ministry from around the world. Uh, one of the key um, values of our Global Missions Ministry is enduring relationships, and we know uh, all of these folks, uh, some better than others, some we're just beginning our relationships with, but some we've known for many, many years. We've been in their homes, been in their churches uh, many, many times and consider them to be very, very dear friends, uh, co-workers and brothers in Christ. And so it's our privilege this morning to be able to introduce you to them. Rather than just having them stand in the crowd and raise their hand and wave, we wanted to get them all up in front of you so that you could see them all at once. And so I'll very quickly just uh, introduce them and where they work. This uh, beautifully matching couple, uh, Zacchaeus and Gloria Camellerit, are uh, from the Pokot tribe in Kenya and work with uh, establishing the Pokot pastors and churches. <clears throat> then we have Curtis Thompson. Uh, Curtis and Michelle are working with the Inner City Church in Chicago, Reborn Community Church. And um, we have videos online about their ministry and the amazing manifestation of, of the love of God in their community that their church is providing there. Then we have um, James Lomaramuk. James is partnering with Zacchaeus uh, in the Pocot ministry. 
and James and his wife Veronica. Veronica wasn't able to, to join us, but uh, they're doing an extensive work there in Kenya. Then we have William Kisa. William is the pastor of the Wibuye Church, and their church is doing an amazing job of is equipping and establishing other pastors and other churches around them as well. Thank you. We have Chris Little. Chris is uh, from Oklahoma, but he's pastoring a church on the Lakota Sioux Reservation in South Dakota, Lower Brule, uh, South Dakota. Um, we're just beginning our relationship with Chris and really excited about the work that, he's, that, that God has raised him up for there in South Dakota, an extremely needy place. I'd really encourage you folks to get to know Chris and learn more about uh, the context where he's working. <clears throat> then we have David and Ann Cassetan. Uh David and Ann partner with Zacchaeus and James and the Pocot work. Um, again, uh, very extensive work, working with many, many Pocot pastors spread over a large area of East and West Pocot. <clears throat> then we have Gary and Paula Hawkins. Gary is the founder of Fellowship of Native American Christians. Um, just met Gary for the first time last January, February. We had, prior to that, we had many phone conversations. Gary is also pastoring Native Stone Baptist Church outside of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it's Gary that has really put us into contact, uh, into contact with the other Native American pastors that we're working with here. And so we're very glad to have you. Then we have Jay and Donna Wan. Um, Jay and Donna are from the Tohono O'odham Reservation, pastoring a, a church there outside of Tucson. And again, another extremely needy area. Um, we had the privilege of visiting them back in July and just seeing firsthand their context. And so I'd really encourage you folks to spend time with Jay and Donna and learn more about the, what's going on there and the needs that exist and just the prayer needs. Then we have Michael and Bernadette Boone. Uh, Michael and Bernadette are missionaries in Zambia and working with uh, many uh, Zambian pastors. Um, I think you said there's somewhere around 50 churches, something like that. Um, again, ministries, pastors that are very confused in the faith. They're spread out over pretty much all over Zambia. And, uh, and so we would appreciate your prayers for them as well. Then we have Nandu and Debbie Lunda. Nandu and Debbie live in Atlanta, uh, but work with, and, and um, Nandu is pastoring a church in Atlanta, but they also work with uh, pastors in uh, Dem uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, which is uh, Nandu's home country. And so Nandu actually partners with Cedric Chippendale from South Africa, who isn't hasn't, wasn't able to make it to this conference, and Michael Boone, the three of them have been making trips into the DRC to uh, train and equip a, a number of D, uh, Congolese pastors. So, thank you. Then we have Victor and Bibi. Victor and Bibi are from Guadalajara and part of the Guadalajara Church and very close friends with uh, Victor and Adriana and part of the uh, next generation of leadership in that church. Thank you for coming. Then we have Victor and Adriana Rodriguez. Uh, we have uh, known them for many, many years. They've been here many, 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 many times. Uh, Victor is one of the key leaders in the Guadalajara Church and uh, doing a great work of really establishing their church in the faith. Then we have Juan and Tirsa Delgado from Ecuador. Uh, Juan is pastoring a church in, in uh, Cuenca, and he also travels once a month up to meet with about 50 or 60 Quechua pastors up in the mountains. And uh, that ministry of seeking to establish the Quechua church uh, is just a huge work. There's like, there's millions of Quechua believers, like 800 churches. And, and so Juan is kind of at the tip of the iceberg with working with 50 of them, but it's a He's been, going, he's been doing this now for a couple of years, and it's been a great start. <clears throat> then we have Daniel Esplin. Daniel is on staff at Indian Bible College uh, from the Navajo Reservation. He and his wife, Corrine, are very involved there at the, at the school, um, seeking to help to uh, educate and, and disciple Native American students that come through. 
And uh, I'd really encourage you to talk more with Daniel while he's here and learn more about the ministry of IBC and the needs that are there. And then we have Joshua Ortiz. Joshua is from the San Juan Pueblo in uh, New Mexico. He was a student at Indian Bible College, and when he graduated then, he stayed on staff and is now on staff there. Um, Joshua has a heart to return to reach his own people. And uh, we pray that God will one day open the, open the door for that to take place. Thanks for coming. Yep. Thanks, Joshua. <clears throat> well, we are excited for this, uh, this week and for the opportunity to uh, spend time together with, uh, with our, our family in Christ from around our country and also from around the world. And so what we're going to do here for the next, uh, you know, 35, 40 minutes or so, we're going to start off, and Scott and I are going to kind of bat this back and forth with each other. We're going to start off by talking about uh, the gospel and the, how important it is uh, to, for there to be a clear gospel, the complete gospel, the total gospel, the pure gospel, um, not only for salvation, but also for sanctification and also our future glorification. We're going to talk about as well um, the, the, the dangers of, of uh, deserting the gospel or being drawn away from the gospel um, and the, the destruction that that causes and, and what that has looked like in various places where FBC is working in, uh, in missions in our own country and also around the world. And then finally, that's going to lead us to, you know, why we do what we do and what do we do in terms of the gospel, the distorted gospel, and then we're helping to, by God's grace, clarify the gospel. So Scott, why don't you kick it off for us? Yeah, so we, we know that God is a great communicator. And if it, I, I would encourage you to begin in Genesis 1 sometime. And just as you read through the Bible, um, you know, sequentially, uh, j just look at and highlight God's communication, the times where God communicates, you know. God said, and he said, and the Lord said, and he commanded, and like this, all those references to God communicating. And I, I think you'll come away with uh, just an amazing picture of the fact that, that God goes to great effort to, to communicate with, with, you know, with mankind, that he's, he's seeking to reveal himself, he's seeking to reveal the truth. And I think we have to say that the revelation of God's heart for mankind and his, 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 his heart for mankind and his heart to communicate, you know, his, his, his effort to communicate is, is directly tied to his heart for mankind. And I think the revelation of his heart for mankind begins before the foundations of the earth. Second uh, Timothy 1.9 says, God's purpose and grace were bestowed upon us through Christ before time began. And so before anything existed, before man even existed, before man fell, God already predetermined this eternal plan of redemption that would be by grace and through Christ. And so from Genesis 1 on then, we see God just faithfully going to great extremes to communicate that truth, communicate that promise, communicate pictures and types and uh, foreshadowings of the one that's going to come and fulfill that plan and different aspects of that plan. Um, then after Jesus came and fulfilled the plan, then the Holy Spirit inspired various men to write the epistles to the church in which in detail then they're explaining the effects of this fulfilled eternal plan of redemption that Jesus had just fulfilled uh, in the Gospels. And, and so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's proof of the fact that, that God, of God's heart for mankind and his desire for us to know him, know his heart for us, know what he's done for us. And pretty quickly after Jesus fulfilled that eternal plan of redemption, we have the existence of the church being brought about in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. And and then we get into passages like Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, and 1 Timothy 3, 15, that speak of the church being the, the pillar and the support of truth. Um, we can clearly see that in this day and age, that eternal plan of redemption that God predetermined before the foundations of the earth, that he has gone to great effort to, to proclaim and to communicate and raised up men to write about the details of this, of, this, of this plan that was held as a mystery through the Old Testament to now make clear for the church. 
he is now seeking to use the church to continue to proclaim. And, and so if the church has been raised up you know, and, and part of the purpose for our existence is to proclaim this eternal plan of redemption and its fulfillment and the effects of its fulfillment to the world, then I think it's, it'd behoove us to be really, really clear on what that eternal plan of redemption consists of. And so I think we have to begin with a passage like 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, where it, it, Paul really, really puts in simple terms what the gospel is, that it's basically the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It's, it's what Jesus did to fulfill the eternal plan of redemption. Um, and, that, and, that, and that plan only includes what Jesus, what Jesus did. Us doing anything, us um, doing anything is not a part of the fulfillment of that eternal plan of redemption. And I think, you know, through the most, for, for the most part through history, the evangelical church has done a fair job of, of identifying the gospel, that it's Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and understanding that it is God's provision for justification. But when we move on to our sanctification and even our future glorification, this is where I think you know, what, what the church has been uh, proclaiming, what the church has been following, it becomes very, very unclear, very, becomes very muddy. It's interesting to note a verse, a passage like Romans 1, 15 to 17. This is Paul speaking, writing to the Roman church. And he says, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so Paul's writing to an existing church, and he says, I, I want to come and proclaim the gospel to you. Well, Obviously, he's not just talking about justification. And so I think from the context of this passage and who he's writing to, it's very clear that Paul's use of the word gospel and his use of the word salvation, he's implying more than just justification. I, I would uh, submit that he's, he's, he's thinking about including the big picture of our salvation, which is justification, sanctification, and our future glorification, that it's that, it's all, that, the, that, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the provision for every part of our salvation. Another passage, a passage that I think supports that, is Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So because we've been justified, we, because we've been declared righteous, we have peace with God, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so because once we become declared righteous, once we become justified, all three of those aspects become true of us. Our justification, our sanctification, our future glorification. Another passage, Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, that Saji read. Um, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, next to John three sixteen, are probably some of the most uh, uh, memorized and quoted verses for evangelism that there is in the Bible. And I don't know about you, but I've always just thought of those verses in terms of justification. But if you back up to verse 4 and look at the context of that uh, verses 8 and 9 are in, you'll see that the, Paul's statement about our salvation is including all three aspects of our salvation. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That's justification. Verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our sanctification. Then verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's our future glorification. And in that context of, of, of naming all three aspects of our salvation as the big picture of salvation is when he makes that statement, for by grace you've been saved. So when he says, by grace you've been saved, he's talking about every aspect of our salvation. And so to put all this simply, um, to boil this down and to, to make it simple, 
here's how I would lay it out. Jesus was crucified, buried, and resurrected for the payment of our sin. That is the fulfillment of, of the eternal plan of redemption. We believe that revelation. Because we believe that revelation, we become justified. We become declared righteous. The moment we become declared righteous, the power of God sanctifies us by eradicating the old man. And the old man is our old fallen spiritual identity that we, that we received from Adam. Every single human being is born with that fallen spiritual uh, identity. And that is what separates us from God. It's not the amount of sin that we commit that separates us from God. It's being born with a fallen spiritual identity. And becoming declared righteous, becoming justified, the power of God then eradicates that old spiritual identity and recreates us in Christ with a new spiritual identity that now makes us complete in Him, makes us accepted in the Beloved, declares us righteous. Uh, Hebrews 10 says, By one offering you've been made holy for all time. And because we become justified, sanctified, we, through that then, we become made worthy, made fit for spending an eternity in the presence of God. Um, and that's our future glorification. And so every aspect of this is in Christ alone, by grace alone, and through faith alone. Works, faithfulness, and obedience plays no part in the obtaining of any part of our salvation. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, that very moment, all of these things became instantly true of you uh, in totality. And I think, you know, again, to really grasp what has taken place in the fulfillment of the eternal plan of redemption through the gospel, we have to think in terms of identity. Um, all of us were born with a physical identity. Our race, our ethnicity, our gender are all things that were determined the moment we were conceived. Um, and after you're born, no matter what you do, no matter how you act, no matter what food you eat, no matter what language you speak, no matter what country you live in, your race, your ethnicity, your gender does not change. It doesn't genuinely change. And I think this is why the truths of Romans 5 are so crucial or so foundational because that's Paul's point. Our spirituality is an issue of identity. The, uh, we, became, we became sinners because of Adam's sin. We now have become declared righteous because of, Jesus, because of the fact that Jesus fulfilled the eternal plan of redemption, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Our works had nothing to do with either. <clears throat> and so to the degree that we mix works, faithfulness, and obedience into the obtaining of any of these aspects of our salvation, to that degree would we say we're preaching or following an impure gospel message or an, uh, an impure gospel in the effects of the gospel. And so Jim, God, from the Word of God, He also warns us against preaching and following yeah. a distorted gospel message. Yeah. So, so Scott, you lay out the gospel there. It isn't that great. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's like it's it's in its totality, in its completeness, and if there wasn't any confusion with it, you know, if nobody was preaching a different gospel, then, you know, things would be, you know, a lot different, but the challenge is that that's not true, right? And so, uh, let's look at uh, Galatians chapter 1, and um, I'm just going to read uh, verses 6 down through verse 9, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. And Paul says, I am um, amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another. There are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. And so Paul uh, had gone to the churches in the area of Galatia. He had communicated to them the gospel. The people had gotten saved. He had communicated to them the complete gospel 
the pure gospel, the, the gospel uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone, and now these people are beginning to be tempted or actually are being led astray. And that's, that's the exact same thing that, that is taking place here in our own town, in our own country, and around the world, and it's creating great confusion. Now notice in verse 6 that he says here, I am amazed that you are deserting him. And so this whole, th these verses here, it, it, it hinges on the fact that, that they are deserting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it always comes back to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what it is that we're talking about. It's the person of Christ. And say they, they, are, they, are, they are deserting him. And Paul's got great issue with that, that they are deserting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that because look that he says, I am amazed that you are um, being led astray. I'm amazed that you are quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. So this idea here of being amazed, it's that, that, that Paul is shocked or he's, he, he's marveling at the fact or he is dumbfounded by the fact it's, it's, it's blowing his mind, it's ludicrous that they are deserting the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who had called them through the gospel of Christ. And so it makes no logical sense that they would be deserting Christ. It makes no logical sense that they would be allowing themselves to be led astray and following the false teachers that are, that are um, exposed here in the book of Galatians. And so that, that causes great confusion. The word gospel is mentioned four times in these four verses, six, seven, eight, and nine. The word gospel is mentioned four times. But let me, let me point out to you how they're used. So in verse 6, um, the word gospel, it says, it says uh, they're, I'm amazed that you're deserting him for a different gospel. So it makes it very clear that the, the, the people of the churches of Galatia, they were beginning to follow a different gospel, not the one that Paul had communicated. There are those people in the area of Galatia who want to distort. So he uses the word distort the gospel of Christ. And then in verse 8, he says, um, if, any, if anyone should come or an angel should come to preach to you a gospel contrary. So he uses the word contrary. If anybody is preaching the gospel contrary to what I preach to you, he is to be accursed. And then it says in verse 9, repeats the same thing that he did in verse 8. And whenever we see things in the scriptures repeated, we know that it's there for emphasis. So he's really trying to drive home a point here. And he says, um, uh, as we said before, I say to you now again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received. So they had received the gospel from Paul, but now the, there are those that are preaching a gospel that is contrary to what Paul preached and contrary to what they had received, and it is a different gospel, and they are being led astray, and it is causing great confusion. We won't take a, much more time here in Galatians, but the it shows, the confusion shows up, and the Paul has to remind them of their true spiritual identity, like Scott was just saying. He has to remind them in, ch in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, they were trying to perfect themselves through the flesh. Having begun in the Spirit, are you now trying to perfect yourself through the flesh? Well, that's, that's talking about sanctification, perfecting themselves uh, through the flesh. And then on into chapter 4, uh, they had forgotten they had departed from Christ and had forgotten that they are adopted into the family and are heirs of God, and they are now living as slaves and not as, as children of God. And then on into chapter 5, uh, he has to remind them to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And he continues on with what the deeds of the flesh are. So, Scott, unpack that a little bit more for us. Um, what, what the result of following this distorted, different gospel is, what the Galatians were doing, and then also give us some practical um, examples of how we've seen that over the past uh, 20 years, 10 years, five years, this past year, and how it's affecting the areas where God's given us the chance to work. Yeah, so <clears throat> like the Galatians, um, it's, it's, it's possible to be you know, clear on the gospel for one part of our salvation, but then very unclear for the other parts. And you know, they understood that it was by Christ alone for justification, but then when it came to their sanctification, they were mixing in the law with that for the obtaining of their sanctification. 
And obviously, you know, if you're distorting the gospel for justification, then you're distorting it for every part because you're still, you know, dead in your trespasses and sins and you haven't even truly accepted Jesus as your Savior. But I think we can, I think we can see that the pure gospel message and its effects has been under attack, you know, pretty much from the time that the church was brought into existence in, in Acts chapter 2. Everywhere that Paul went, the Judaizers were following him, seeking to deceive the believers into thinking that they needed to mix the law with the gospel. Um, Within 20 to 25 years after the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Paul was already having to write letters like Galatians to churches that he had planted, calling them out for following a different gospel. Within 20 years of... (laughs) of the day of Pentecost, the existence of the church. Uh, listen to what Paul wrote to another church um, in his letter to them, Philippians. Philippians 3, 2 through 3. He says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And if, if, if we are placing confidence in the flesh, you know, in our own effort, our own wisdom, our own strength, our own righteousness for any part of our salvation, whether it's justification, sanctification, or our future glorification, then we are following an impure gospel uh, in that respect. Another letter that he wrote uh, to another church, Colossians 2, 4 through 10. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. And so he's, he's warning them. He's encouraging them. Beware lest anyone come in and deceive you into following a distorted gospel that is not centered in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. Second uh, Peter, uh, Peter gets very strong as he's writing to other churches, uh, warning them of false teachers that he knows are, are, are there, you know, even in their midst, and who are also going to come from the outside. Um, I, I think if we had the time to look at the church in every age since the day of Pentecost, I, I think we'd come away very, very shocked at how distorted and twisted the gospel, how mixed the gospel message has been through, through every age. You look at the church in our day and age. I, you know, has there ever been a time where, where there are more different churches and more different denominations than there are today? Like that's, that, that's proof of a distorted gospel. It's proof of a, of a mixed, uh, unclear gospel message. In our global missions program, we're currently working with churches in at least 17 different countries, and every single one of them, the church you know, that we begin working with, is in the exact same state, very confused in the faith, preaching a mixed gospel message and, and, and the effects of the gospel, and following a mixed gospel. And I, I would encourage you folks this week, um, you know, when you get a chance, sit down with Juan and Tirsa Delgado, and, and, you know, they've been working with some pastors from the 800 Quechua churches. And, and find out from them, ask them about the confusion that exists in those churches. I, we've been there, we've met with those pastors, and, and some of the things that they have said is just, it's, it's shocking. And they're the pastors, and so if the pastors are that confused, then what's the rest of the church like? Um, David, James, and Zacchaeus, who, who are working with pastors and church leaders of some 200 Pocot churches that are spread out all over East and West Pocot. Uh, they're going to great lengths and making great effort to equip those pastors and travel out and, e- and equip them. Talk to them about the confusion that exists in these guys' lives and their understanding of the truth. Victor and Adriana Rodriguez, um, 
you know, years ago, they and the Santanas came together to start a new church. Well, they were already attending a church. So why, why leave that church and start a new church? Same thing. Um, ask them about the details of that. Michael and Bernadette Boone. Michael and Bernadette came a couple days early, and uh, along with Nandu and Debbie Lunda. And, and for the last two days, we've been talking about the, the, the ministry in Zambia and DRC and the pastors and the churches. And, and just as they've just described the, the confusion that exists from all these pastors. These are the pastors. <laughs> I, I just can't imagine how unclear it is for the people in the churches. And I would, I would venture to guess that even justification is, un, is unclear for many of them. Uh, Curtis Thompson and, and you know, their ministry in inner city Chicago. Ask them about all the other churches that exist there in that community and what kind of message are, is, is coming from those churches into the community. When we, work, we, when we first began to work with the Chichewa pastors and churches in Malawi and Mozambique in 2014, they were so, the pastors, okay, this is the pastors, they were so confused in the faith, like they didn't even understand eternal security. Um, and one of our early conferences, one of the pastors who was, you know, beginning the morning stood up and making announcements, and he was chastising the rest of the pastors for being late. And he made the statement that, look, if you're not on time for these meetings, you can lose your salvation. And he was serious. He wasn't just joking. Um, you know, this is, this is where these guys are at, and it's, and it's that way all around the world. But for me, one of the most appalling examples of how badly the gospel message has become distorted and corrupted was in how it was presented to the American Indians. Um, and I would encourage you, we have a number of Native, Native American brothers and sisters here with us from different parts of America. And I would really encourage you to talk to them about the history of outreach and missions and, and, and the way that the early church went about trying to preach the gospel to Native Americans. It's, it's appalling when you hear what they were mixing the gospel message with having to cut their hair, having to stop speaking their language, having, you know, basically become a white man in order to become a Christian um, was, was what they were doing. And I think the, the distorted gospel message was so horrible, so horrific, so appalling that we see the effects of it today. Uh, as, I, as we've had the opportunity to visit these guys on their reservations, one of the things that has has stood out in every location is the deep, deep-rooted opposition that exists in the hearts of people against Christianity and against the church. They call it white man's religion. Why do you want to, why do you want to follow white man's religion? You know, I think they're right. It, it, it was nothing more than white man's distorted gospel message. Like, that's what was presented to them. And the effects of it are still affecting their communities today and hindering the, the church's ability to minister and, and, and reach, uh, reach the lost there. Think about unbelievers in our own culture. Uh, anytime you talk to an unbeliever, it could be a relative, a friend, an acquaintance, who is very anti-church, very anti-Christianity, what is the number one thing that they say, that reason why they don't want anything to do with the church or Christianity? Hypocrisy, right? There's, there's hypocrites in the church. The church is full of hypocrites. Why is there hypocrisy in the church? Why, why, why is the church full of hypocrites? Because we preach a distorted gospel. We're preaching ourselves. We're preaching that it's our righteousness. If we're preaching that our righteousness is what obtains any part of our salvation, then we are preaching a distorted gospel. And I would contend that that's, that, in general, has been the gospel message, uh, the teaching, the discipleship that has come from the church in general. And so, Jim, in terms of the heart and soul of our global missions program and this picture and the state of the church around the world, this is exactly yeah. why, we're, why we do what we do and why we have the focus we have, isn't it? Exactly right. This is hopefully, hopefully you guys can see why we do what we do because of the destruction of a distorted and a different gospel. I'd also like to say it's why, you know, God led FBC to plant uh, his new Hispanic church here in town six years ago for the exact same reason. There were Hispanic churches here. Why do we need another one for the very same reason we're talking about? Uh, we planted, started a church down in Shenandoah County last year. Why did we start a church in Shenandoah County last year? There's churches in Shenandoah County. Why do we need another one for this very same reason? So 
It's what we're doing as a church, not only, um, you know, global missions. Last week, Mark made this comment. He said that the greatest danger in the church today is the lack of sound teaching. Remember Mark saying that? The greatest danger in the church today is a lack of sound teaching. And that's, that, that, that's what we're talking about. The distorted gospel versus sound teaching in the pure gospel. So, so how do we do it? Our goal is to draw alongside uh, pastors and church leaders from the areas where we're working to help train and equip them so that they can in turn pass these truths on to the people that are in their, in their churches. We're all learning and we're all growing together. You know, none of us have arrived. We're all gonna be learning, learning until the day that we see the Lord. And we are a family. All of us, I have extended family. Everybody here has extended family. And we are all a family. And those that are here uh, as our guests this week, you know, you all are part of our FBC extended family. And those that aren't here, we saw Saji on the screen. Uh, they are also part of our FBC global extended family. And so we come together as a family. We come together to fellowship. We come together to study and to learn together. And so when, when, we, when we begin, we begin at the beginning. You know, whenever we're reading a book, where do you start when you begin, a bo- begin reading a book? You start in the beginning. And so we begin at the beginning. We begin with our knowing God lessons or our creation of Christ lessons because that helps to lay that foundation that we can better understand and better uh, properly interpret and understand God's, God's theme and God's mind throughout all of Scripture. So we begin at the beginning, and then we, um, then we go into our position in Christ lessons because it's so important for us as believers to understand our identity in Christ, understand our position in Christ, who God defines us as, what, who God says we are, and to be able to see ourselves as God sees us because we're just, we're, we're torn apart in this world as seeing ourselves as, as other people, mm. we think other people see us, or seeing ourselves as we think the world thinks we should see ourselves, or there's all just, there's just confusion. Why? Because of the different gospel. So it's so important that we get, that, that I'm clear, and that we're all clear in our global family of, of how does God define me? How does God view me? What does God say about me? That I am adopted into the family of God, that I am accepted in the beloved, that I've been given everything pertaining to life and godliness, that I'm eternally saved and eternally secure in my salvation with him. Those things are so important, and we, it's, it's, we, we have to communicate those things and, get, and be convinced and convicted of those things. And then we move on to act, into Acts, into Romans, and then on into the epistles. And so we travel a lot. We spend, we spend time together in person. Pre-COVID, um, we were traveling eight, nine, ten trips a year, um, 80, 90, 100,000 miles a year each, not combined, but each. Um, during COVID, um, we took almost a year off because nobody went anywhere. <laughs> but this year, we've been able to go to uh, Oklahoma a couple times, Arizona a couple times, um, South Dakota, and then Florida, visiting our Native American family in Christ. And so we're excited about these new relationships that God has given us in terms of new, uh, new, new family and new, new, new partners that we can uh, be doing life together and be, be doing ministry together. How does God want us to work together uh, to see, see the pure gospel be going out in the way that, that he he has it to go out for this for the sake of his family. It's too important. I mean, I mean, it was super important for Paul. I've got an issue. I got an issue here, my brothers and sisters in Galatia. I, I am I am amazed. I'm dumbfounded. I'm confused. I'm just I'm awestruck as to why you would be be deserting the mm. Lord Jesus Christ. And so he laid it out for them. That's the same thing, same thing that we do with our partners around the world, with our family around the world to see people established in the faith because people that are established in the faith, they make established churches. You can't have an established church without established people. That makes sense? If you have established people, then what are you going to have? An established church. It's not, 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 not very tricky. So that's what, 
that's what we do. It's, 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 I, sometimes I've termed it like it's like, a, it's like a global relational discipleship program. It's global relational discipleship ministry. And uh, we do it here in town, but that's what we're doing around the world. We're spending time with people. We're, we're getting together in person. We're getting together. We're, we're, we're seeing them. We're bringing them here to spend time together just studying his word. Close us in prayer? Yeah, let me close us in prayer. Father in heaven, we just uh, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for this church. Thank you for FBC. Thank you for all these folks that uh, make FBC, FBC. And, and thank you especially, Lord, for the work that you're doing in and through all of us. Thank you for the privilege, Lord, that you've given us to... Um, the, the way that you've just led us to have the kind of mission program that we have um, that just gives us the opportunity to have direct contact, direct relationship, direct partnership um, with these key families, uh, pastors, uh, church leaders and their families and their churches from around the world. Lord, both Jim and I feel extremely blessed and privileged to, uh, to, to know them, to be in partnership with them to be building relationships with them. Lord, they've become some of our dearest and closest friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. And thank you that uh, you've just opened a way, opened a door, uh, just in, in, in spite of all that's going on, all the craziness around the world and restrictions and COVID, and you just opened the door and, and just allowed them to be here with us this week. And Lord, we, we pray for them. We pray that this week will be uh, just a real time of spiritual refreshment for them as uh, they meet with uh, our folks here the, and, and as they have opportunity to interact with one another and begin building relationships with one another. Lord, we pray for them uh, that at the end of the week as they return home, that um, Lord, you just allow them to be returning energized um, some of them are going back into some very, very difficult situations, Lord, that um, frankly, unless you divinely intervene, unless you move in hearts, unless you... Open eyes. Um, there will be no response. And, uh, <clears throat> and yet, each of them know that you've called them, that you've placed them there, and each of them are looking to you, Lord, to do that work. And uh, I just pray that you would just continue to use them, Lord. Continue to uh, teach us, Lord. Uh, continue to hone, uh, enable us to hone this gospel message that, that everywhere we go, any opportunity we get to proclaim this message to disciple believers, Lord, that, that we are truly unfolding for them just the, the pure uh, gospel message. It's centered in Christ alone, by grace alone, and through faith alone. And so, Lord, we just commit these things into your hands, and thank you because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.